שבת שלום. צהריים טובים. צהריים טובים. Good afternoon. All right. Welcome. We welcome you to uh, today's uh, Shabbat synagogue service and teaching. Um, a few announcements before we get started. First of all, Ciro and Elsa are at a most important family event today, and that's why they're not here. Um, Elijah is graduating from college uh, today, so um, so they went to uh, show their love and support for him. So uh, they will; they should be back. Uh, Hashem willing, they'll be back in place um, next week. Um, then announcements for you. Uh, first of all, we will be having our second Aleph Bet class today, and we will be taking up the letter of Aleph. Uh, so that will be uh, right after Oneg today. Um, then um, June the 5th is Shavuot. Today is the 28th day. Say it. Today is the 28th day of the counting of the Omer. So we're more than halfway through to uh, Shavuot, uh, another couple of weeks and we'll be at Shavuot. So June the 5th is Shavuot, um, and it begins at sunset. Now that's a Sunday, but it begins at sunset on after Shabbat. So uh, we're going to have a Havdalah service and into Shavuot, all right? Uh, so that will be on the 4th, on June 4th, um, at 8 o'clock in the evening, because we have to wait for the sun to set for the day to change over. So 8 o'clock in the evening, uh, we will begin, uh, we will have our, our, have our Shavuot uh, ceremony and uh, festival. And uh, the, it, is, it is common to bring especially dairy, uh, so cheesecakes and cheeses and dairy desserts, ice creams and things like that, all right? So um, that will be uh, coming up in a couple of weeks here. Um, so we will have a, a Torah reading. We will have a teaching. Um, and Ciro uh, and I are go- going to take turns teaching. It, we're going to go from 8 o'clock to midnight. You're supposed to stay up all night reading Torah. We'll let you go home and figure out the rest, all right? So, uh, but we'll be here from 8 o'clock until midnight. Um, so uh, then, the, then the next day, we'll close out Shavuot with another Havdalah. Okay? It won't be as long of a service. Um, it will be just a regular Havdalah service as we close out the Shavuot. But uh, anyway, those are the things that are coming up. Also, um, you're not Emilio anymore. What's your new name? David. Um, not Kamel David, just David. Uh, um, is are there, the, the youth are going to be having a, their, a meeting on June June 8th uh, Wednesday, June 8th what time? at 7 here? alright, so uh, for for our young people huh? one hour una hora sola no mas alright so that will be for our young people. All right. So, um, 
the ones that aren't here make sure that they get notified of that. All right, so that'll be the first youth meeting of Harlingen Messianic Synagogue. We are growing in ministry and growing in different ways, so that's very, very good. Um, all right, uh, any other announcements? I think that's all for now. Also, um, there will be no board meeting uh, from here till, um, there will be no board meetings from here until September. Uh, the 1st of September will be the next board meeting. Give everybody a break, um, and people will be going on vacations and things like that. So uh, those who are on the board, no more, no board meetings until uh, the first week, the first Sunday of September, as we plan for the fall festivals, all right? So I uh, wanted to let everyone know that. All right, if you would, the book of Leviticus, chapter 21. And this week's parasha is Emor. Baruch Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, the giver of the Torah. May we receive your Torah's teaching with grateful hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The imbu. So, So th- this week's Torah portion is called Emor. Everyone say Emor. Emor means say. To say, to speak it, to say. So it says, Vayomer, Vayomer, Adonai el Moshe, Emor el Hakohanim, B'nei Ahaon, the Amarta uh, Alechem Le Nefesh Lo Yitama Be Amav. So the, the, and Omer spoke to, past tense, Emor Omer. Remember, I told you about the three roots last week during Hebrew class. All right, so you have the same three roots here. Omer, Aleph, Mem, Resh, Omer, but Omer, the, the vowels change. Adonai, Hashem, El, to Moshe. Emor, say. Hakohanim, El Kohanim, El, to Hakohanim, the priests, B'nai, sons, Aharon, of Aaron, Amarta. That he shall not uh, 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 and say to them, Amarta again, Emor, the the Amarta. So again, you have the Aleph, the Mem, and the Resh with a Ta. Say to them, Alechem, Lenefesh Lo. Their souls are not to be uh, become unclean for death. Or for the dead. So, I'm going to go through very quickly and speak to each verse, explain each verse to you, and then we're going to come back and do drash. All right. So, first of all, that he's to say, 
We're going to come back to this word of say, that he's to say to them. They are not to defile themselves. They are not to make themselves unclean. With any dead person. In other words, they cannot, they cannot touch a dead body. They cannot come into, into the area of a dead body. In fact, they cannot even come into the room of a dead body. The priests, the sons of Aharon, the Aharon, were not permitted to touch a dead body. They were not permitted to come into the area near a dead body. They were not permitted to enter into a room where a dead body was. Okay? Now, very quickly, and we'll come back to this. This explains to you why the priests and the Levites in Yeshua's parable of the Good Samaritan went around the body that was laying on the roadside. This is why they went around, because they were not permitted. But in doing so, we'll come back to this, in doing that, in not stopping, they thought he was dead. That's, that was the issue. They thought he was dead. It's not that they thought that he was just wounded there. They thought he was dead. And they were not permitted. They're going in for temple service. They're not permitted to go near a dead body. But in doing this, I hear myself echo. Um, in doing this, they actually broke Torah. They actually, uh, they, act, they actually desecrated a mitzvah. And the mitzvah is this, that they desecrated. That they're not, the only ones that are, the only ones that they are permitted to come in contact, except, verse 2, except for the relative. Ki, im, lo hakarov, elev. So, someone who is very, very close to him, exceptionally close, by blood, not best friends. Only by blood. So this would be his father, his mother, his brother or his sister, a son or a daughter who is not married. Being, if there's somebody else who can take care of the responsibility, then someone else is to take care of the responsibility because he is not to lower himself into defilement. Why? Because he is the representative of the Most High God. And he serves before the Most High God. Therefore, he must keep himself pure. And death is the height of uncleanness. Death is the height of uncleanness. Death is the height of corruption. And so, except, it says, except for the relatives that are close to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother. Also for a virgin sister, a virgin sister, that is one who is not betrothed or married. If she is betrothed, if she is betrothed, she's as good as married. 
saying that if she dies before she gets married, but she's betrothed, then the husband or the husband-to-be is responsible for the preparation and the burial. For he, for her, for the virgin, in other words, the sister who's not married, for her, he may defile himself. But he may not, he shall not defile himself as a kinsman by marriage and so profane himself. Now, the Chassal tell us that this applies to this applies to anyone in Israel no matter how if if the king dies whoever it is the priest may not defile themselves with the body so long so long not so long it's good to know so long as someone else can take care of the responsibility so long as there's someone else to take care of the responsibility. However, the Chassal teaches, the Torah teaches us that if there is no one else, only the, the Kohen alone, only he is there, and something must be done with the body, for this cause, the Kohen is, is permitted to take care, to take responsibility. This is the mitzvah. This, the taking care, if there's nobody to take care of the dead body, that supersedes the other. This is greater than the other. Saying that when these two, when the Kohen and the Levi, passed on the other side of the road. Evidently, there's no one else in the area of what they assume is a dead body. And yet the body's not even dead. He's still alive. If they had approached, they would have known. The reason they did not approach is because they were headed to Yerushalayim to serve in the Beit HaMikdash, to serve in the Holy Temple. And by this time, there were so many kohanim, there were so many priests that serving in the temple, they served in orders. In, shall we say, in battalions, in groups, in allotments. So that serving in the Beit HaMikdash, there were so many kohanim that serving in the Beit HaMikdash became a once-in-the-lifetime opportunity. You have the great privilege of serving in the Beit HaMikdash one time for your entire life. So what were all these Kohanim doing? Only the, only the Kohen Hagado, the high priest and his cohorts, his close ones, only they served continually. All the rest of the priests, even though they were B'nai Aharon, they were the sons of Aaron, they only served once in their lifetime, by course. By the days of Yeshua. So what did you do with the rest of your time? You taught Torah. 
that was the responsibility of the Kohanim, was to teach Torah to the people. Verse 5 says, They shall not shave smooth any part of their head or cut the side growth of their beards or make gashes in their flesh. So what is this about? What does this mean? This is from where we have the idea that the men wear full beards in Judaism, in Orthodox Judaism. We're not allowed to shave our heads. We're not allowed to um, we're not allowed to shave our beards. According to Halakha. Now this instructions, these instructions were given to the Kohanim. You say, Well, I'm Ed Ben Avraham. I'm not a Kohen. I'm not Bene, I'm not Ben Ben Aharon, I'm Ben Avraham. I'm not a son of Aaron. Ah, yes, but you see, what the rabbis tell us is this. He says, you shall be a nation of priests and kings. And it carries over into the Rikhadashah, where Kepha, Peter says that we are a, a holy nation of priests. That is that we are God's representative here on earth. It is from this portion that you get, that you understand why the Jewish men dress, look the way they look. So, we're not permitted to shave ourselves. This does not mean you cannot trim your hair. Or cut your hair, like Richard's there. But you may not take a razor to your head. You may not cut that close. There must be some stubble. We are not supposed to shave. We may trim our beards, but we may not shave them off. You are not to put a razor to your face. Now, you must have some stubble. You're not to cut to the root, in other words. So, halakha is this in Orthodox and modern Orthodox Judaism. Halakha is this. You may use an electric razor because there's a screen between your face and the blade. And the hair goes into the screen and is cut off. Thus, it is not cut to the root to the face. You may, you may cut that close, but that's as close as you may cut. So you're not to shave smooth. This is why it says you are not to cut the side growth. That's this right here. You're not to cut the side growth. That's why you see among certain Hasidic groups, the peyot they're called. 
the paya, the peyot. By the way, do you know where the term sideburns comes from? I won't charge you extra for this. This is free. The reason why these are called sideburns is because there was a, a general, a Union general, in the Civil War whose name was Burnside. And he had these massive uh, lamb chop, ham hock, whatever things, sideburns here. He, they were massive, and they, they actually, they, they, if you see pictures of him, they, they, they come out like this far from his face. And so his name was Burnside, and so they became known as Sideburns, as Burnside backwards, okay? So Sideburns from Burnside. All right, so anyway, so you are not to, you are not to cut the sides. So many Orthodox groups, particularly ultra-Orthodox groups, take it that you should not even trim your beard. And so you will see Hasidic men with the long peyot. And that's the reason why they're wearing the long peyot. It comes from this. You say, but this is talking about the Kohanim. Yes, but as they understand it, as we understand it, as Kepha tells us, we are a nation of priests and kings holy, sanctified unto God. Nor make gashes in the flesh. You are not permitted to cut yourself on purpose. I knew I had a friend and he had carved his initial in his hand. And you know people who have things like that, different cuttings and markings and such. We know that we know various tribes around the world who will cut themselves so that their skin will scar as a decoration, as a design. This is forbidden. This is forbidden. It is forbidden to mark one's flesh. So young people, tattoos are out for an Orthodox Jew. These are forbidden. It all falls under this. Now, the situation is this. If I didn't know when I cut my hair. Now what do I do? Well, your hair will grow out. The scarring and the tattoos, what you did in ignorance was done in ignorance. And what is done is done. Understand. But as Yeshua told the woman, don't do it again. Don't go there. There's a reason for this in Judaism. There's a reason for all of this. He says, they shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the offerings of fire, the food before Adonai, before the sacred name. And so they must be holy. You may not be like everybody else. I know that everybody else is doing it. 
picking their nose and shit. No, everybody else, everybody else is doing it. Is not an excuse for you. That's what a child says to his parent when the parent tells them they can't go somewhere, they can't do it. But everybody else is doing it. And so what is the refrain of your mother? Well, if they go jump off the bridge, are you going to go jump off the bridge? Well, in my family's case, it was yes. Because they literally jumped off the bridge there in Rio Hondo. They had contests. They, had, they did. They would, on Saturday mornings, you would see a lineup of teenagers jumping off the bridge when I was a child. Why does mother say that? If, 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 they, if everybody else is jumping off the bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge? No. What is she saying? That's no excuse. In fact, the Torah forbids you from doing what everybody else is doing because everybody else is doing it. The Torah says, when the mob is going about seeking to do evil, do not follow after them. Because everybody else is doing it is not an excuse for you to do it. You are separated. You are sanctified. You are set apart. Notice this, please. God is concerned about your outward appearance. Stop the lie that we hear so frequently that it is only man who looks on the outward appearance, but God only looks on the heart. Saying God's not looking at this. Yes, he is. Because this is actually the evidence of this. The issue, by the way, was not about dressing down. (laughs) It was about dressing up. God was not condemning Abner, I believe his name was. God was not condemning. It was the brother of David, David Chamelech. God was not condemning him because he looked so poorly. It was because he was a handsome, a tall and handsome man. And he knew it. He looked kingly. He acted kingly. He dressed kingly. And that, and Shmuel says, this must be the king. He looks like a king. He acts like a king. He dresses nice. He dresses up. He must be the king. And Hashem says, lo, no. Because you are judging by the outward appearance. But I'm judging the heart. But that does not mean God did not say, I do not judge the outward appearance. 
he was telling Shmuel, you only are judging by the outward appearance. Stop the lie that says God judges only the heart. Again, we have said this many, many times. People use an ex- as an as an excuse to not conform to the word of God, to the Torah. And they will call you and me legalists. Because we do. But they use as an excuse not to conform to Torah. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And the prophet said, it is deceitfully wicked. Your heart is deceiving you if you think that God does not care about your appearance and how you appear before him. He defines very clearly here how a priest is to look or not look. And to do otherwise is to profane, is to bring to nothingness the name of God, the holy, sacred name, which we are not even permitted to say. But by your actions, by your looks, by the way you dress, you bring profanity upon his holy name. Why? Because people are watching you. We're going to get into this as we get into the Olive Bed. I told you last week in last week's Olive Bed class that the reason why this letter is here next to this letter is because there's a relationship between the two letters. So you're going to find out that first you have Aleph and then you have Bet. There's a reason why the Bet is standing next to the Aleph. And then next you have Gimel. And there's a reason why Gimel is next to Bet and Bet is between Gimel and Aleph. There's a relationship. The reason why the Parashat, the the Parashot uh, uh, um, of the Torah, the Torah is not written chronologically. It is not historical. By that, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying these things didn't happen. It's not written as a history. So it's not written chronologically. It's not written as a timeline. This happened, then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. Because you will find as you're going through Torah that it actually jumps around through the history. So it'll be here, and then all of a sudden it'll jump way ahead 20, 30 years, and then it'll jump back 10 years, and it jumps around. Because it's not chronological, it is thematic. Thematic. It is written according to theme. According to teaching. In other words, this Torah teaching is next to this Torah teaching because there's a relationship between the two. Smack dab. Last week, Kedoshim. Last week's parasha was Kedoshim. And it's all about human sexuality. How strange is that? 
because we think of sexuality as being ugly and dirty and vile and corrupt. In fact, there's groups of people, the Shakers and such as that, who actually, the Shakers were, were kind of like the Pilgrims or the Quakers, but they went out of being, they went out of existence because they would not have sexual relations with one another. So there were no prodigy, there were no children. Well, who continues on the next generation? Sexual, uh, uh, sexual relations is a gift from God. It is a creative creation, a gift of God, and it is to be loved and appreciated in its proper context. You take it out of its context, and it becomes an ugly and vile thing, as do all things. But when, when, when uh, uh, used in the way in which God intended it, it is something which unites physically, mentally, emotionally, physiologically, the husband and the wife, to make them like this, inseparable. And it is through the sexual relation that the husband and wife literally become echad, one. You too are in holy service to Hashem. Therefore, you too must take care. Listen, so the next, part, the next portion speaks concerning the husband-wife relationship, who the Kohen may marry and may not marry. He may not, number one, he may not marry a woman who has been in harlotry, an adulterous woman, a fornicator, a whore. He may not marry that type of a person, even if she has changed her ways. Why? Because people will say, don't you know, she was once a harlot. And that brings profanation upon the holy name of Hashem. He may not marry a divorced woman. Now, the rest of Israel could. But the Kohen had to marry the daughter of a Kohen to keep the tribe, to keep the bloodline of the Kohanim pure. Nor may he marry a woman who is divorced, even though she is the daughter of a Kohen. Why? Because God hates divorce. What God has joined together, no man may put asunder. Yeshua himself explains to us that, that divorce was not God's idea. God's idea, because 
marriage, the marriage relationship between a husband and wife is that of Mashiach and Rakh HaKodesh Shekhinah. And that is perpetual, eternal. Never ruptured. Therefore, when a man puts away a woman, he is breaking the picture that God is trying to demonstrate for us. Everything is a picture for us. So that in the family, the father represents Mashiach to the child. So Richard represents Mashiach to the three kids. Mama represents the Shekhinah to the three kids. So that they growing, grow up with the knowledge, with this understanding, with this emotion, with this attachment to Mashiach and Shekhinah always being together. And then it says, he ends up the daily parasha, that no one at all who has a defect shall be, shall be qualified. Speak to Aharon and say, no man of your offspring throughout the ages who has a defect shall be qualified to offer the food of his God. No one at all who has a defect shall be qualified. No man who is blind or lame or has a limb too short, too long. No man who has a broken leg or broken arm, a hunchback, a dwarf, a growth in his eye, a boil, a scar, scurvy, crushed testicles. None, no man among the offspring. Why? Because who is the Kohen Haggadah? Mashiach. And Mashiach is perfect. He is to be complete. And the Kohen is representing, is standing in the place of Mashiach. And one of the things that Hashem does not permit, what is he speaking to here? And this is the reason why it is found here. Next to them, next to the way they're to be dressed, what they are not, they're not permitted to shave their heads, they're not permitted to, to trim their beards, they're not permitted to cut themselves or tattoo themselves, they're not permitted to rend their garment, they're not permitted to, they're not permitted to marry a harlot, they're not permitted to marry a divorcee, they're not permitted to do these things, they're not permitted to come into contact with a dead body. Neither are they permitted to serve if their body is malformed by some way. And people say, you see, that's that mean God we're talking about. That's that exclusionary God. You see, he leaves people out. I want to serve. How come I can't serve? Because God shares his glory with no one. What? Say it with me. God shares his glory 
with no one. How serious a crime is it to try to take glory from God? Ask Moshe. He was not permitted to enter into Canaan, the promised land, because he stole God's glory before the people. Saying what? How long do we have to do for you? And God said, that's what he told the people, remember? Remember? They were crying again for water. And Moshe goes to God, these people, they're crying again for water, what do I do? God tells him, speak to the rock. Do not strike it. But Moshe, in a fit of rage, goes out and strikes the rock in spite of God's command and then says to the people, how long do we have to put up with you? And God said, we? Who's this we? I alone am the Lord God. Moshe, you're not part of the Trinity. You're a human being just like everyone else. What is this we business? So how does that, what does all of this have to do with taking away from the, because God does not want his service to become a spectacle. A scene. A circus. Because then you're looking at the one-legged priest or the one-armed priest or the blind priest having to be led around. And you're watching him and paying attention to him to see if he falls off of the altar. To see how he's going to handle the fire with only one arm. You're watching him. And you've taken your mind off of giving glory to God. This is why when you walk into a synagogue, you do not see us performing spectacularly. In fact, in the synagogue, you know, in most churches, right, they have, they, they have the opening prayer. They have the three hymns of which they only sing the first and last verse of each hymn. They have maybe a responsive reading. And then a soloist comes up and sings a special. We don't do that in the synagogue. You notice that the chassan and the rabbi, the teachers, sit amongst 
the congregation with everybody else. Why? Because we're all the same. We're all the same. And when I stand up to sing all by myself a special Too many times, my thoughts are on me. And your thoughts are on me. And I've become a spectacle. I'm taking the attention away from God. And you're not permitted to do that. So in synagogue, we do everything together as a people. Now there are times where it is okay to dance and we encourage dancing, but then there are times where the service becomes too holy for that. And we become still and silent and quiet and very respectful. And we're bowing and we're bending. We need to be very careful with these things. This business of bringing people up to the front and blowing on them and pushing them, touching them, and they're falling over. That's a spectacle. That's not of God. It is a spectacle. That's what God does not permit. You may not become a spectacle. You may not detract the attention of the people away from Kashem. Neither may you misrepresent Kashem in that Mashiach is perfect in his body. And if a Kohen is attempting to serve God with an imperfection in his body, he is misrepresenting the idea. Now, he may eat the food of his God, of the Most Holy as well. What does that mean? That when the people would bring their tithes in and their gift offerings to the temple, he could eat of that. He, in other words, he receives the compensation of a kohen. He just may not serve in, in, before the public. Now, saying all that, let's go back to the beginning and take it from the top, and very quickly we're going to go through some things to help us out. First of all, the word emor. Say emor means to say, 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 
Say, say. Hey, hey, what do you say? Say. Versus daver. Remember, we gave you the word davre, uh, uh, devorah, word, the word word, which can mean thing or word. But often, often the often it will say the Torah will say. Um, The Omer Adonai El Moshe Divre The Omer and said Adonai El to Moshe Divre The word that from where we get the word word means tell say tell. And more means say. So devre to tell, and more to say. What's the significance of this, and why here does he not say devre, but he says and more, say. Is it easier if I say something to you or if I tell you? I told you to do something. Versus, I'm saying this to you. Which is the softer and which is the harsher? To tell someone to do something or not to do something versus to say to them. What I'm trying to get you to understand here is that more is a more personal, gentler means of communication. Would you rather have someone speak to you gently or as a command? And if it is, and if it is in a in a not so, if you're in not, a not so good situation in a not so good mood, would you rather them speak to you gently or more harshly? What is the harshest? What is the worst situation? The worst condition? Then death. When someone dies, etiquette tells us that when someone dies, you should not speak to them harshly in those situations, but that you should speak to them gently, even making correction. Even if you're making correction, that you should not speak to them harshly. Because they are in an emotional, fragile situation. Such as the two sons of Achaon. Adonai and Abihu. 
Remember, they took the strange fire before God into the altar, and God slew them, smote them on the spot. And that night, Hashem speaks to Moshe, saying, Say to Aharon, you are not to mourn for them. What? They did wrong. And I had to take care of the situation. You go on with your service. You keep going. We're going to come back to that. But the idea, the difference here is this. He's telling Moshe, speak tenderly to them. This is not the time to use the stick. This is the time to use the carrot. This is not the time. This kind of situation dealing with death of family and such as that, say to them, speak gently. By the way, we will oftentimes accomplish more with if we do not raise our tone and our voice. Too many of us, myself included, too many times have used the force of voice to accomplish what we desired. And we tell people things rather than say. We're talking to them, not with them. We have a curious thing here that Rashi brings out in verse 1. It says, Ve'omer Adonai el Moshe emor el hakohanim say to the sons, the, the, the priest, Bnei Aharon, the sons of Aaron, Ve Amrata, Amarta, Ve Amarta, again he says say. So why does God keep saying say? Say to them, say to them, say to them. And so Rashi brings this out. This is an admonition to adults to teach their children. Say to them, to say to them. Say to Aharon and his sons to say to their children, to their sons. Saying what Rashi says here, this is an admonition to adults to teach their children to avoid defilement. We are to teach our children from the youngest age to avoid sin. To avoid defilement. Therefore, to avoid the curses. 
to avoid sexual immorality. To avoid profaning Shabbat. To avoid profaning the holy name. In the different venues of our life. We are to begin teaching them as soon as they are born. The first words that a child hears upon their circumcision are Torah. And when a baby is being circumcised, the first words being uttered in their ear are words of Torah. And a drop of wine is placed upon the baby's tongues to teach the baby that the Torah is sweet. As the psalmist said, sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. But you don't start teaching a child by teaching them about death. That's perverse. And it's a concept that they don't understand. You start by teaching the small child small things. You start by by teaching the small child the things that they are able to do and they are able to accomplish. In part of today's reading, in part of today's reading, it talks about that the that the Kohen Hagadol is never to, by the way, this is where the, we get the kippah from, that the Kohen Hagadol is never to be bareheaded in his service before Hashem. By the way, um, the Kohen Hagadol also was not permitted to leave the sanctuary. Ever. For any reason. Ever, 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 ever. For the rest of his life, from the day he's anointed as Kohen Hagadol, to the day of his death, he may not leave the compound of the temple. I.e., in other words, he's always on duty. And if he walked outside of the temple, he might step in something and bring that something back into the temple, thus profaning the temple. Therefore, he walked barefoot everywhere he went. And he was not permitted to leave the temple compound lest he bring profanation upon the name of God by soiling his feet. But I said that the Kohen, and this is why we were the Kippah, because the Kohen Hagadol, we are priests. The Kohen Hagadol was not permitted to bear his head. So teach your children. It's something that your child can do, wear a Kippah. And you can make the kippah an enjoyable experience. Make him have your child wear his talit. 
I bought little Neil a baby tully. He's got it on today. Get them used to doing it. Why? Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You train up that child to wear his kippah. You train up that, that, that child to cover her hair. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. You train up a child to wear the talit. You train up the child to, to do the things of God, to perform these deeds as they can, as they may. They, when they're old, you train up the daughter, the daughter to help you light the candles of Shabbat. When they're old, they will not depart from it. Generation upon generation are built upon training the children not to profane the name of God. And you, sm- you start with the small things. You see, the reason why they're in their class is because those children could not take in. This is too power. This is too much. They don't understand. They don't have the concept. But they're getting the same teaching in there on their level. That's why we put them in there. That's not a playtime. You take a kid to a children, to children's church, to a nursery, and most churches today, and it's all full of toys, and that's all they're doing is playing toys. And you go in before service, and they're playing toys. You go in after service, and they're playing toys, and all they've done is play with toys. No. It's about the children. If you bring them to Shabbat, and you sit them with you, and you help them go through the service with you, These children, do you know that Kara and Neil both are learning brachot, that they're able to speak, and if you say the brachot, the bracha wrong, they will correct you. Do not think that they cannot. It is not that they cannot, it is rather that you will not. Because it takes work to train a child. It takes effort. If you teach them now to wear the kippah, the talit, to light the candles, to say the brachot, If you teach them now to keep Shabbat holy and to attend synagogue, if you teach them now these things that are important, that are small, that they can do, then as they grow, you can teach them greater concepts based off of that. But you must lay down first the foundation. So we have a problem. Because Evie goes to public school. In a public school, not only do they not serve kosher food, they don't even sell clean food. And it's been a problem for us all year. For us, I say, for the women who prepare the food for her and get her ready in the morning and such as that. Constantly throughout this year, we get a phone call. We get a phone call. 
that Evie needs a lunch because she won't eat the lunch that they have there. Why? Because she's being trained not to eat, that certain foods are not permitted, even as a young girl. And she recognizes, when she recognizes a food that she's not permitted to eat, she tells them, I can't eat this. Now, we've been trying, we, I say the family, has been trying to get menus and such as that from the cafeteria so we know what they're serving, when they're serving it, and send a lunch with her. That is kosher and clean. It's very problematic, and we won't get into all of that. But saying, that young lady, third grade, is able to stand up for herself in front of all of the world to her. Teachers, principals, nurses, students, and say, this is not kosher, I cannot eat it. Do you think she's ever going to forget these days? Her and her parents were having a little discussion about this when she came home from school the other day. What am I saying? Train the children now to stand up for themselves and not defile God. As the three friends of Daniel said, we will not bow. Our God is strong enough to save us, and even if he does not, we will not. I want to go to the Rikha Shah. We need to close. What is all of this about? All of these rules that we read this morning, what is this about? Death. It's all about death. It's all about death. Because they had just left Mitzrayim. They had just left Egypt. And Egypt was all about death. It was a death cult. Hence, the pyramids, the mummies. What do you always hear about? The mummies, the mummies. They even had the Book of the Dead. the gods of the dead. It was all, it was a death cult. They worshipped the dead and they worshipped death. This is why we do not celebrate Halloween. It is all about death. We do not have a day of the dead.
Because death is the ultimate curse. Death is the lowest of all that is profane. It is the profanest of the profane. This is why the Kohen was not permitted to touch, go near, enter into the house of a, where there was a dead body. Because God is about life. The reason there is death, God warned Adam and Chava. The day that you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. As the prophet said, the soul that sins shall surely die. All death, whether it is that of a baby or that of an adult, of an old person, of an elderly person, all death is the result of sin. Whether it is death by accident or death by purpose, it is a result of sin. Whether it is a gunshot wound or cancer, the reason we die is because we sin. For the wages of sin is death. And so death has passed upon all. For all have sinned. We call this the gula. We're in the geula. We're in the exile, but we call we have a term called gula. Everyone say gula. Like goulash, you know? But gula, it ends with an H. Gula. Gula means redemption. The goel, the kinsman, the near kinsman, the kinsman redeemer. As in Boaz and Ruth. Yeshua is our goel. He is our redeemer. And he came that we might have gula, that we might have redemption. That, in other words, that we might be brought back, geula, from the exile to gula. That we might be returned to our appropriate estate. Perhaps you've heard it said that death is natural. No, death is unnatural. It is the most unnatural. God did not create us to die. He created us to live. But man chose death over life when he chose the tree of knowledge over the tree of life. He had half of the people stand on Mount Gibor, the other uh, 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 half stand on, on, on Mount Tabor and Hora Hashim, I can't remember the name, 
but he had them half on one mountain and half on the other. These were the blessings. These were the cursings. This side would shout out all of the blessings. This side would shout out all of the cursings. And God says to them, look, I have placed between you life and death. Choose life and you shall live. As Jehoshua said, as he in his farewell address to the people, Joshua, Jehoshua said in his farewell address to the people, choose you this day whom you shall serve. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. The Tzedokim, the Sadducees, the Tzedokim did not believe in the afterlife. Why? Because they claimed that the Bible, that Torah, never spoke of the afterlife. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And in fact, one of, this is the way that Rav Shaul, Paul, saves his own life is he shouts out, when they're arresting him at the temple, he shouts out, I believe I am a Pirushim. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And a great riot breaks out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They begin a great riot. And this is the opportunity that the captain of the guard grabs him by the neck and pulls him out of there. So Yeshua was talking to some Tzelchim. And they were asking him concerning the resurrection. Sorry, trying to find my place. And Yeshua asks them, he says, have you not heard that he is not the God of the dead, but that he is the God of the living? For is it not written, he says to them, is it not written, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Yitzhak. I am the God of Yaakov. Saying what? If he says, I am the God, not I was the God, not I used to be the God, saying they're dead and gone. I am the God saying what? Yet they live. You remember in the book of Yohanan, in the book of John, what Yeshua says to Martha, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The life. Say, the life. Say it. Hachaim. Hachaim. Lachaim. To life. Hachaim. Ani Hachaim. I'm the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Ani ha-derek, ha-emet, ha-chaim. 
He is the light. And all life is found in him. He's the creator of life. And he does not want us worshiping death, adoring death. He does not want us. Death is a curse. Death is a defilement. It is the worst. But neither does he want you fearing death. For death itself shall be defeated. We close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But someone would say, verse 35, someone would say, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. As for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be, but a bare seed, maybe a wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he planned, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one flesh of humans, another flesh of animals, another of birds, another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one thing, while the earthly is another. When you get to heaven, in Olam Kaba, you will have a body. The one glory of the sun, the other the glory of the moon, another the glory of the stars. As great as this body is, as majestic as this body is, you can't even imagine the body, your body in the world to come. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown with dishonor, Raised in glory, sown in weakness, but raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became life, a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is of the earth, made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the one made of dust, so also are those made of dust. And like the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have become the image of the one made from dust, so also shall we bear the image of the one from heaven. Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And what decays cannot inherit what does not decay. But behold, I show you sod, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last shofar, for the shofar will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. If this corruptible must put on incorruptibility, this mortal must put on immortality, 
But when this corruptible will have put on incorruptibility and this mortal will have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is found in Torah. But thanks be to God who keeps on giving us victory through our Lord Yeshua Mashiach. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and the one seated on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, but no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the thrones, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what was written in the books, according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death, death and Sheol, the grave, gave up the dead in them. Then they were each judged, each one of them, according to their deeds. Then, notice this, then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. Death itself, death, the destroyer itself, shall one day, hallelujah, be destroyed. And we will face death no more. Thanks be to Hashem, who gives us victory, even over death, through our Lord, Yeshua Mashiach. Because he died. You and I may live forever. Avinu Shibshibai. Toda Rabah. Beko. Nata. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all you have done. For the blessed Redeemer whom you have given to us, the Mashiach Yeshua. He suffered his death so that even though we die, because he raised himself from the dead, he has the power and the authority to raise us from the dead. And one day this he shall do, he shall do. Maybe it, may it be soon and in our time. That the dead are raised from the, from the grave and we walk with him into that holy city to set up the kingdom of Messiah. Thank you. Bless us this week as we enter into a new week. Through his name, amen. You would stand for the blessing. Lift up your hands.
Yevarech Adonai veyishmerecha. Yair Adonai penevelecha vikudecha. Yisai Adonai penevelecha veyasem lecha shalom. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai shine his face upon you and be gracious unto you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and fill you with peace from the Prince of Peace, Yeshua Mashiach, Li'inu. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Kiddush. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, fruit of the vine. Vimru Lachaim.
Baruch Atah.